there's more. This one. There's um. There's more papers. They're making more copies. They're coming as fast as they can. Um, so though, if you don't have one, know that more are coming. Um, just for the sake of time, I'm going to go ahead and get started. I don't want to keep y'all here all night long. So thank thank y'all so much for coming out. Um, it's good to see a crowd of people. Um, it's exciting. So I want to. Why don't we just begin with a prayer and um. And we'll go from there. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for gathering us together this day. We ask that you would send forth your Holy Spirit upon us, open our minds and our hearts, that we may delve more deeply into the mystery of the Holy Mass, into the gift of yourself to us in the Eucharist. We ask that you would speak to us through these words, help us to encounter you more deeply, and lead us to a deeper spirit of prayer and reverence and awe for the mystery that is the Holy Mass. We ask this all in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So if I'm kind of, I don't usually have the mic without like all kind of vestments on. So if if y'all can't hear me at any point, just like let me know. Um, If you have questions at any point, if it's like questions of clarification, if you need me to repeat something, if I didn't make sense, stop me. Um, There's going to be a period at the end for Q&A. So if you have like a um, let's go deeper question, write it down on, on, your, on your handout, um, and, and I'll give you time to ask those kind of questions as well. Um, just to show you how the handout are, is formatted, if you would open it up to the beyond the first page, there, see there's a column for your notes. That's for kind of you to jot down um, some things. So there's text on one side and notes on the other side for you if you want to write down a question, something that stuck out to you, whatever that might be. Um, so, what we're doing today, it's called Source and Summit, a walk through the Mass. So the Mass is sort of, it's, it's the high point. Um, if anyone knows anything about the Catholic Church, it's that they do this thing called Mass. And so the rationale behind this is that Mass is that one thing that we do that identifies us as Catholics. But we do it, and we do it so often, but there's so much of the meaning that goes over our heads. Right? And that's, if it's the high point of our faith, it should really be the high point of our faith. And so the goal here is to kind of help us enter a little more deeply into the Mass. Um, and so that has two parts. One, for like your own personal nourishment and for your own faith. Um, that's, that's an important aspect of it. But beyond that, the people who aren't here. You all know people who aren't here. So a, a big motivation for this is to equip you all to then go out and say, oh, hey, I went to this thing called the Mass, and here's what I learned. That's how this, this renewal that we keep talking about, that's how it's going to happen. So this is for your own nourishment as well, but it's also kind of like a mission. It's the same thing that Jesus did. He had his 12, he taught them, and then he sent them out. So don't think, this, doesn't, this can't end with you. If it ends with you, I didn't do my job well. So let's... let's continue to spread that out. Um, if you look on the first page, just kind of give you like a little bit of an outline of how we're going to do this. Um, the first class, we're going to be like an introduction to the Mass as a whole and to the liturgy. What is it? Why do we do it? Kind of thing. And we'll get into the, the very, very beginnings of the Mass. Um, just to give you a taste of how the rest of it's going to go. And then for the next two weeks, we're just going to continue to walk through the Mass and unpack the meaning of everything, um, everything that we do. 
and kind of go into what the words mean, what are we actually meaning to talk about whenever we do that. So, there's, I just want to, I put this really cool quote by St. Francis of Assisi on the bottom. I'll leave that for your own reading. I just want to read the last, the last little sentence. O sublime humility, that the Lord of the universe, God and the Son of God, so humbles himself that for our salvation he hides himself under a morsel of bread. So, let me do that. Um, if you turn that page around, there's one other quote um, by a priest named Monsignor Ronald Knox. He wrote a book that I, I used as kind of like a little bit of source material for this. Um, and he said this, If you're going to try and follow the Mass, it's a good thing to try and understand what the words are about, not just get accustomed to them as some kind of pious rigmarole. And it's a good thing to see the gestures of the priest makes as the proper accompaniment of these words, illustrating and expressing them, instead of vaguely imagining that he's waving his arms about for no particular reason. <laughs> so we're going to try to correct that. We're going to try to see what do the words mean, what do his actions mean, um, and try to unpack that. Um, so, if you would turn to page four, we can go ahead and get started. So, what is the Mass? What is the liturgy? Why do we do it in the first place? Um, it, get, it really takes his heart back in Jesus' command. Um, at the Last Supper, the night before he died, um, if you look on the PowerPoint, hopefully you can read it. If not, you can listen. Um, Jesus, this is Jesus at the Last Supper. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also the cup, after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the, death, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So the very simple answer as to why do we go to Mass, Jesus, this is what Jesus told us to do on the night before he died. He said, as often as you do this, you proclaim my death and my resurrection. Do this in memory of me. And that memory, that word, has a lot of meaning. We usually think of memory, we, just, we think we're recalling something that just happened way back then. But for Jesus and for Jews, the word memory had a very special meaning. It wasn't just something that happened way back there. When you, it, it, it was, they called it representation. It was present right then, right there. So for ancient Jews, they would celebrate the Passover every year. When they celebrated the Passover every year, they weren't just recalling some event that happened way back then. They were reliving the Passover every year. And that's the same kind of idea of memory when we talk about the Mass. Do this in memory of me. We're not just remembering something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. When, when we're up here celebrating the Mass, we're at the Last Supper. Jesus is saying those words. We're at Calvary. Jesus is giving himself for us. That, that gift of himself for us is, it was so great and so awesome that it spans all of time. It wasn't just like a one thing way back then. 
It was so redemptive that it, it, it redeemed all of time. And so every time we come to Mass, we're participating in that sacrifice. So when we say, do this in remembrance of me, that's what we have in mind. That we're at Calvary. That's what Jesus' intent was when he, when he told his apostles, do this in memory of me. If you look at the top of, right after that, you have a quote that says, The celebration of the Mass is the center of the whole of Christian life for both the church, for the church both universal and local, as well as for each individual. So the, the Mass has to be the center of the Christian life of the whole church all throughout the world. And of Annunciata Parish. The Mass has to be the center of everything that we do. And for each one of us, because of what the Mass is, because it's that central mystery of the faith, we're at Calvary, that's where our salvation comes from. So everything that we do on every level of the church, the Mass has to be the center. It's the high point both of the action by which God sanctifies the world in Christ and of the worship that man offers to the Father. So the Mass is the, is the way that grace enters the world. The high point that God sanctifies the world. Every time Mass is celebrated everywhere throughout the world, that's God giving himself to man anew. Every time Mass is celebrated, whether it's a packed church, whether it's, you know, Two people. Every Mass is God giving himself to the world. So, let's say hypothetically we come to Mass and we're just off that day, we're not feeling it, I didn't get the homily, I'm tired. God still came and God gave grace to the world. That happens no matter what. That's the beauty of the Mass, is that that's going to happen every time. And it's the high point of our own worship to God. So it goes both ways. God is giving everything of himself to us, and that's how we give ourselves back to God, by participating in that worship of him. That's the highest way that we can worship God. And that's what the church has in mind, you know, when she says we we have to go to Mass every Sunday. If you don't go to Mass every Sunday, it's a mortal sin. It's not because the church is... You know, this mean person who's trying to make everyone sinful and we've got to do all these things. It's because she knows how important it is to us. Like, we can't live without that grace. So when the church says, we, if, she, if she says we need to do this, it's not this, like, mean imposition on us. It's because she knows that's what we need. We need that grace of God. And if we want to, we want to worship God, that's the, that's the best way for us to worship God. The Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Christian life. The source, so it's the source of all these graces, and the summit, the highest point. And I think that may be why there's a lot of difficulties with the Mass. If, you know, if, you're, if you're inviting someone to come to Mass who's never maybe been to Mass before, and you say, oh, come to Mass, they're going to probably leave and say, what the heck just happened? I stood up, sat down, knelt, and then we, uh, we sang some songs, pre-said some words I didn't really understand, and then we all left. But that's because the Mass is the highest thing. We're starting, it's like taking someone who can't 
doesn't know how to swim and throwing him in the deep end and saying, good luck. That's not going to end well. The Mass is the, the source and the, it's the summit. It's the highest point of our faith. And so that's why it's important to, to, to learn, to, to begin maybe, instead of throwing them in the deep end, let's learn a little bit about, you know, this is what we're going to do, this is why we're doing it, a little bit of like what we've already talked about tonight, explaining this catechesis to kind of help them guide them into the deep end. You know, we don't have to start there. I think that's, that's a, a, lot of the, a lot of the tension there, because it is the, it's the summit, it's the highest point. It is the efficacious sign and sublime cause of that communion in the divine life. So it's an efficacious sign. Efficacious means, I was dog for using that word in a homily and not defining it. So efficacious means that it's a sign, but it causes what it represents. So if I have a photo of Father Mike, that represents Father Mike, right? But it doesn't make Father Mike present for real. That's not, that's not the same kind of sign that the Mass is. The Mass is an efficacious sign. It makes present what it symbolizes. So the Eucharist, Calvary, it, it, it's a sign of Calvary, but it really makes it present. And it causes that to happen. So these, this is just a bunch of awesome things. This is like what's happening at the Mass. And we're not just kind of like making this up either. This is, this is rooted in Scripture as well. If you look in the little bubble in the middle of that page, we look at the book of Revelation, chapter 5. It says, Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all therein, saying, To him who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So this is the book of Revelation, which it, it kind of gives us a glimpse into, into heaven. That's what Revelation is, is what it does. And so what we're seeing here is part of the heavenly liturgy, the heavenly worship of God. All the angels and saints praising God joyfully forever. That's, that's, what, that's, what we, that's where we find our true meaning, in that praise of God. And so what we're doing here at Mass, in this earthly liturgy, is a foretaste of that, of the heavenly liturgy, of that holy city of Jerusalem towards which we're all journeying as pilgrims. So when we come into the church, whatever, come to Annunciata, we celebrate Mass, there's a sense in which we're no longer on earth. The room, this, this building, is filled with angels, every time Mass is celebrated, it's filled with the angels and saints, all singing and praising and worshiping God. We're, we're, 
literally in heaven at that moment. And everything about Mass is, is hoping to remind us we're, we're, not, we're doing something special here. We're not just coming together. We're, we're coming together in heaven, worshiping God. If we can talk about it as like a, a horizontal dimension and a vertical dimension, the horizontal dimension would be the fact that we do come together, and that's important. God doesn't want us to, to just, it's just, it's just a me and God thing, an individualistic sort of mentality. He always calls us to get, he always calls the people together. The people of Israel, his disciples, the people of the church. Community is an incredibly important dimension. But it's that horizontal at service to the vertical. Together, as a community, journeying towards God. Participating in that heavenly worship. That's what we're doing every single time. As a community, journeying to God, participating in that heavenly worship. And we do this in this eternal liturgy. It is in the eternal liturgy that the Spirit and the Church enable us to participate whenever we celebrate the mystery of salvation in the sacraments. So we do that, we participate in the heavenly liturgy, but we're obviously on earth. We're human beings. We have bodies. We have voices. So, God speaks to us in the way that we can be spoken to, which is through our bodies. That's why we use sacraments. We use things. We use material, visible things that reveal to us the invisible reality of what we're doing. So we can't just stop at the visible. The visible is always pointing towards the invisible. If you look at the next little, the bottom bubble, the liturgical celebration involves signs and symbols relating to creation, like candles and fire and water, human life, washing, anointing, baking bread, and the history of salvation, like the rites of Passover. Integrated into the world of faith and taken up by the power of the Holy Spirit, These cosmic elements, these earthly elements, these human rituals, and gestures of remembrance of God become bearers of the saving and sanctifying action of Christ. So because we're people, because we have bodies, that's how God speaks to us, and that's what we use to speak to God. So when people make fun of the Catholics for stand, sit, kneel, we're going to say these words and do all these things, and we're using bread and wine and water and oil and whatever, whatever the sacrament entails, because we're, we're not just spiritual beings, we're corporal beings. All those things are important. Jesus became man in the incarnation, and he redeemed all of the created order in that. And so all of that created order now becomes a sign of God. So that's why we do all these things and say all these things and we have all these things because they remind us and they point us forward to what they really mean, what we're really doing here. So for example, if I say like water, what, what is, what's something that water can, what is water on just like an earthly level? What does water remind you? What does water symbolize? To clean. To clean? Anything else? Life? Not, you know, we're, what, 98% water? That's like the one thing we can't live without for more than, what, 20, 48, 72 hours, whatever it is. So cleaning, 
life? What about in the Old Testament? Does water have any special significance? Flood? Mm-hmm. Through the Red Sea? Exactly. So all of these things, new life, cleansing, Israel through the Red Sea, the flood, all of these, these, these nor, the, both the normal just uses of water and the uses of water in the Old Testament are included in what we mean to represent when we use water in baptism. It's a cleansing of original sin. It's a rebirth into a new life of Christ. Just like in the old Exodus, God led his people out of slavery through the Red Sea to new life in the Promised Land. We're moved from, a, from being a fallen man, from, a, from original sin, into a new life redeemed by Christ, part of the mystical body of Christ. That's the great thing about all these, all these things. We just have a natural inclination. We know, we know, we know what water symbolizes because we, we have it, we use it. And so God takes what we know and uses that to reveal himself in a way that we can like really understand and remember. If you turn to the next page, this is really cool, and this is another reason to show that we're not really making this up. So there's a big bubble of text that I'm going to read, and it comes from the writings of St. Justin Martyr. He was uh, one of the early, early church fathers. He was born in 100 AD, so it's pretty likely that he was taught by the people the apostles taught. So he's like really close to the epicenter. So I'm going to read this and tell me if this at all sounds familiar. On the day we call the day of the sun, all who dwell in the city or country gather in the same place. The memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read as much as time permits. Probably wouldn't fly today, that part. As much as time permits. When the reader has finished... He who presides over those gathered admonishes and challenges them to imitate these beautiful things. Homily. Then we all rise together and offer prayers for ourselves and for all others wherever they may be, so that we may be found righteous by our life and actions and faithful to the commandments so as to obtain eternal salvation. Prayers to the faithful. When the prayers are concluded, we exchange the kiss, kiss of peace. Mm -hmm. Then someone brings bread and a cup of water and wine mixed together to him who presides over the brethren. The gifts are brought forward. He takes them and offers praise and glory to the Father of the universe through the name of the Son and the Holy Spirit. And for a considerable time, he gives thanks that we have been judged worthy of these gifts. That word, give thanks, in Greek, is eucharistion. It's where we get Eucharist from, Thanksgiving. So that would be what? The Eucharistic prayer. When Father takes the gifts that, we've, that, that have been brought up, and he gives thanks to God that he would do, be, do something so great as to, as St. Francis said, come down to us in a morsel of bread. When he has concluded the prayers and thanksgivings, all present give voice to an acclamation by saying, 
Amen. When he who presides has given thanks, and the people have responded, those whom we call deacons give to those present the Eucharistic bread, wine and water, and take them to those who are absent. So communion is distributed, and to those who can't make it, to the homebound. So that sounds really, really, really similar to what we're doing, right? So this shows you that we didn't just make this up. This is like roots from like the time of the apostles. This is what they did. So this is the mystery that we're going to dive more and more deeply into. I want to talk about two little nuggets of wisdom that I got from Steubenville on the bayou. Um, Father Mike Schmitz was a priest there. He's, he has all these YouTube videos out. If you Google his name, you're going to see a thousand videos that he made, and they're all awesome. But he said he celebrated Mass for us on Saturday. And he said two things that really stuck out to me, that I still I remember them, um, that I thought would be helpful for us to kind of think about as we begin this, this journey into the Mass. The first one says that when it comes to how God wants to be worshipped, he's told us. He wants us to eat his body. Loving God involves giving him the worship he desires instead of what I desire. So he used an example of, of uh, a story of himself on Mother's Day. He said, you know, he was a little, little kid, you know, 10 year old. And he said, Mom, what do you want for Mother's Day? And she said, you know what I'd really love for Mother's Day? I'd really love if you would, you would clean up your room and, and fold your clothes and put everything away. And he said, but really, really, what do you really want for Mother's Day? <laughs> and then a couple days later, she said, I told you what I wanted. And so he waited a couple days. And he came and he said, hey, Mom, Mom, look at this cool trick on my bike that I learned for you for Mother's Day. And then she showed him, he showed him this, showed her this trick. And I'm sure she was said, oh, that's, that's good. I'm sure she, you know, said, oh, that's great. Thank you very much. But he didn't really do that for her. He did that because he wanted to learn this bike trick. That really, that wasn't really what she wanted. So she, I'm sure she accepted it. She's like a mom would. But what she wanted was for him to clean his room. So if we're, if we're wondering, how does God want to be worshipped? He's made it pretty clear. This is, what, this is what we desire in the Mass, to worship God through offering the Eucharist, through the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Giving God the worship that He desires instead of what I desire. And trying to maybe if, conform what we want to what He wants. Because if we're giving him a gift, we should give him what he wants, not what we want, really. So that was the first thing. The second thing, I think I, I may have preached about it. I don't know if I remember if it was daily mass or weekend mass. But he talked about, the, so the mass is this, this thing, we do it every week. And because it's, it's very, we, we say the same things, it lends itself to a, an autopilot. We know what's going to happen, and so we just do what we know is going to happen. We do what everyone else is doing it, and we know the words, and we're just going to do the same thing. The problem with that 
is that with that mentality, we're not really expecting anything. It's going to be the same old, same old, that same routine. Now, if the Mass really is everything that we said it was, the worship of all the angels and saints in heaven, God coming down to us under a morsel of bread, us being not really here, but really on Calvary, Jesus giving himself to us anew every time, would we not expect something to happen from that? Do we, do we expect to be changed? I'm not saying that we're going to walk out of Mass every time with like a completely whole new outlook on life. But we should leave Mass different than when we walked into Mass. Whatever way that is, whatever, and that's God speaking to the particularities of your life. But we, we leave Mass different than when we walked in. And going in that autopilot routine mode kind of robs us of that. We don't, we don't, we're, not, we don't, we're not open to receiving that because we don't expect it. So he said, come to Mass expecting to be changed. This is, what, this is really what the Mass is, so I know I'm going to be changed. I don't know how, I don't know what that's going to look like, but I'm expecting to be changed. And with every word I say, every time I sit up, stand down, I'm going to do that, not because everybody else is doing it, not because, not because I've always done it, but because I'm going to choose to do that. And kind of the hope of this series is that if we know, if we know what, what all these things mean, It'll help us more easily dive into, all right, this is what it means, and I'm going to really move my heart, and I'm going to pray to God in that way with these words and be intentional about it. Instead of falling into that, and I do it too, like all the time, falling into that autopilot mentality where I'm not really expecting anything. I'm just going through the motions because I have to go to Mass. And the final little note before we jump into like what, what the moving through the mass is is our role in the mass. So obviously, many of us know that the mass isn't just something the priest does. We're all participating in that. The words the church uses for that are active participation. She says that Mother Church earnestly desires that all the faithful should be led to that fully conscious and active participation in liturgical celebrations, which is demanded by the very nature of the liturgy. So active, we're all called to actively participate in the Mass. Now, a lot of times that gets limited to Lectors, ushers, Eucharistic ministers, hospitality ministers, commentators, all these sorts of things. And those are good, necessary things. There's a quote that's on the PowerPoint. This is from uh, St. John Paul II. He says that active participation certainly means that in gesture, in word, in song, and in service, all the members of the community take part in an act of worship which is anything but inert or passive. Yet active participation does not preclude the active passivity of silence, stillness, and listening. Indeed, it demands it. Let me pause there. 
It demands it. Before we can begin to do these other things, before that, we have to have, he calls it, the active passivity of silence, stillness, and listening. It says, worshipers are not passive, for instance, when listening to the readings or the homily, or following the prayers of the celebrant, and the chants and the music of the liturgy. Right now, I hope, you're all actively participating in, in this talk. <laughs> I'm the only one who seems like is doing anything, but y'all are all actively participating in this. And that's the same kind of active participation that the Mass, that's what we really mean by active participation. Not by doing things, but by really being here. We're intentionally conscious here. And so don't let the active, the active participation, if, if being a lector, if being a Eucharist, if all these things are, get, are prohibiting you from really entering into the Mass, then they're not serving its purpose. It's, it's hurting you instead of helping you. All that stuff is at the service of helping you enter into it more deeply. That's where the root has to be. That's our role in the Mass, is to, to that active passivity of really being here. And by doing that, just by, by, not, by doing that, we're offering the perfect worship to God. The congregation, together with the priest, is offering the sacrifice of Christ to the Father. Which is infinitely more valuable than lecturing and Eucharistic ministering. That's, that's, the, that's the key. That's the heart of participation. It's offering the stuff of your life to the Father through the hands of the priest. That's the highest way that we can participate in the Mass. That's, what it, that's, what, that's the key to what we're all about here. And in that offering, God takes it, renews it, and pours out all those graces upon us. And he, he really, it, the Mass changes things. The Mass has value. And learn, training ourselves to expect that and to really believe that is kind of what the difficult part is. Yes, ma'am. Yeah? What do you mean by awareness? Well, like being present, I guess being present to what's happening, you are, you are aware. Right. You are aware of mm-hmm. what's happening. So that's your active. Right, exactly. Uh huh. So follow, being aware of what the priest is saying and doing as much as we can. We're not going to do that perfectly every time, but being aware of what's happening, um, not worrying about, as best as we can, worrying about all these other things. It's, that's hard. I mean, we, we, all are, we all live lives with a thousand other things going on. But as best we can, the, the goal of our participation in the Mass is for this time to be right here, right now. On Calvary, with the priest, offering, taking all those things that, that, are, going, that are swirling through our minds probably and saying, Lord, I'm out, I can't control half these things and I don't understand the other half of them. But I know I'm here right now. I give that all to you. Help me to really be right here, right now. And help me to feel that presence when I leave. Help me to be changed in that. That's the heart of active participation in the liturgy. 
That's where, that's when, as we build up that practice, that's how we can begin to be changed. And we expect that, and we realize that this is what we're called to, and this is what's happening. So if you turn to page six now, we're going to begin, kind of get a foretaste of what the rest of the, the rest of the series is going to be about. So we're here on Sunday, where we're ready for Mass. Before anything even starts, there's one, the most important thing about everything that we're doing here is the altar. So we're going to start by talking about that. Before anyone's even moved, the altar. So the altar is a sign of Jesus Christ. When we look at the altar, we think Jesus is here. Because he is in, he's the one who's offering the sacrifice to the priest, and he's also what's being offered. Usually when we think altar, it's in the Old Testament and pagan religions, altars, that's what you sacrifice things on altars. And so the altar represents Christ because he's the one sacrificing and he's the thing that is sacrificed. It, as we said, it represents that sacrifice, is present right here. And the presence of this altar is a constant reminder of why we're here. We're here to, to relive that sacrifice and for those graces of that sacrifice to be poured out onto all of us. Back before, before uh, the Vatican, Second Vatican Council, military chaplains had to carry around a marble altar stone with them when they would celebrate, to celebrate Mass. That was like, you needed to have that. Because the altar was Jesus. Without that, you couldn't. So they would have to carry around this, this marble altar stone. There's, one, there's a marble altar stone in this altar. And that, that it shows you how important the altar is. It's the most important thing of the Mass. The altar. It became a tradition to, to have a relic inside every altar. So that's for a couple of reasons. One, it, it connects us to the mystical body throughout all of time. So it, it, unite, it reminds us, there's a relic here, it reminds us that the saints, we're, we're celebrating Mass with all the angels and saints. It's not just us right here, we're going, we're in union with all of Christians for all time and eternity. And the early Christians, before Mass and before Christianity was legalized, they would have to celebrate Mass in secret. And so that would often happen in the catacombs underground in Rome, on the tombs of the martyrs. The tombs of the people who gave their life for the witness of the faith, to witness to Jesus, they would celebrate Mass on those tombs. And so it became tradition to put the relic of the martyrs especially inside every altar to remind us that we're united with that. We're united with that. The little bubble um, on page 6 says that all altars all over the world, or one altar really, the mother altar of Christendom. All altars have relics in them so as to remind us that we belong to the martyrs of the first century and they to us. So there's a sense in which all of Christianity all of Catholicism in the whole world is united by the altar. Because the altar is Jesus who unites it. And by having the relics of, the, of, of every altar having a relic of a saint and a martyr, that kind of helps to remind us of that unity that we all have. 
Here, there's a relic of a saint. I have a picture of it on the PowerPoint. St. Marcellin Champagne. He's the founder of the Marist Brothers of the Schools, which is an offshoot of the Marist Fathers, which I believe the, I believe the Marist Brothers were here at one point in time. Um, and so, that's, so this is the, the, the relic of their founder is, is here in this altar. So if you pull back the, the, the piece of glass and the, and the cloth, you can see there's the marble stone and the relic. I didn't, I didn't learn that until like on Saturday. <laughs> when Miss Gale showed me. But so that, I, 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 that's awesome. And it's a reminder of, of, the, of, of the unity both with all of Christendom and back to the first, to, you know, from the first century martyrs to 1840. It's a sign of that unity. So, that's just a cool thing. I didn't, I didn't know about the relic, so I just wanted to tell you all about it. <laughs> so, that's the altar. So, we begin in the back with the entrance procession. So, processing is, is an ancient tradition in the church, and it does two things. It recalls events of Christ. So, think Christ processing into Jerusalem. Christ walking with the cross up to Golgotha, to Calvary. That's what the, we process into Mass, and we process you know, Eucharistic processions around, Marian processions, whatever they are. Those are the kinds of things. That's what it evokes. We're walking with Christ. What it also does is that it symbolizes the whole people participating in the liturgy. So, like, I guess in a perfect ideal world, we would all process in. It's just logistically kind of messy, so we stay here. But it symbolizes the fact that we're all, we're all part of that procession. You can see it more clearly when we do like Eucharistic processions outside or something. When you see giant crowds of people following. It's kind of what we have in mind. This is like a mini version of that. So it, it, another way of highlighting that we're all here participating in this thing. So we walk in. The first thing that we do is reverence the altar with a kiss. Because we just talked about how important the altar is. We're reverencing the fact that that's Jesus. That's all the saints from, from you know, 30 AD to now. And, and the, the fact that it's a kiss that we use to reverence, it kind of highlights the, the importance that it has. It shows like we're here because we desire to be in union with God. And that's kind of like the perfect you know, way, to, it's a reminder, this is why we're here, because I want to be in union with God. That's why I'm here. It's a really cool, the first time I got to do that as a deacon was like, really cool, just because, I don't know, it hit me in a way that like, I'm here for God, and it was, it was cool. It still is cool. It's one of those things that looks like, hits me every time, and I don't know really, it's just cool. I just, it hits me in a way that I can't really talk about. Um, so sometimes, for Mass, usually for bigger Masses, we have incense. It's usually, um, it can be used for any Mass, but usually we reserve it for the greater solemnities. Um, and the purpose of incense is not to make everybody cough and sneeze and then have allergies and they got to leave and then 
blah, blah, blah. Um, incense has a lot of roots in the Old Testament. That's why we use it. So incense was used in ancient Jewish worship to, to show that, that we're, what we're doing isn't just natural. It's a supernatural thing. God is present here. If you look on the PowerPoint, they have a quote from the book of Leviticus. It says, And he shall take, he being the priest, he shall take a censer full of coals of fire from the altar before the Lord, and two handfuls of sweet incense, beaten small, and he shall bring it within the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat. So that what the incense does is it highlights the fact that this is sacred now. This is sacred. If you're reminding us, we're not just in a room. We're in the presence of God. See this a little more deeply in the bubble from 1 Kings chapter 8. Then the priests brought the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord to its place in the inner sanctuary. And a cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So with the smoke, it sim- the cloud symbolizes God's presence. It reminds us God is here. We're in a supernatural place. The smoke, it's another one of those signs. It just kind of lends, when, we, when something's, sm- you know, you can't really see through it, it lends itself to a little bit of mystery, just on like a natural level. And so that's another one of those signs that God uses to reveal to us that God is present here. The final kind of meaning that it has comes from the book of Revelation, which is on the next quote on the the PowerPoint. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to mingle with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense rose with the prayers of the saints from the hand of the angel before God. So the incense, the smoke rising, symbolizes all the, everything that we bring to the Mass, all the joys and the struggles and the sufferings, all the, prayer, all the people we're praying for. The incense is a reminder to us that those prayers that we're bringing are rising to God. And God is present here, and He does hear those prayers. That's the purpose of the incense. They symbolize our prayers going up to God, and they they make us know without a doubt that God is here, and that God hears those prayers. And this this is holy ground because of that presence of God. Accompanying that entrance, there's an entrance chant. Um, a lot of us may be more familiar with that in daily mass. If you have, if you ever have like a Magnificat or a daily mass book, this is the entrance antiphon um, that a lot of parishes say before mass. Uh, there's one for every mass. We're just kind of more used to hearing it in daily mass. Um, what this is, it's a little, it's a little foretaste of what the mass is going to be about. So every Mass, kind of, it's, got, it's got a particular theme to it, depending on the season, the feast, whatever it may be. And the entrance antiphon is a way to get us all on the same page. We're all united in mind and heart with that, and we're praying to God with that, you know, through that lens, with that in mind. And the purpose is, is to foster that unity. 
So, for example, on Friday is the Feast of the Exaltation of the Holy Cross. And on the PowerPoint, you can see what the entrance antiphon is going to be. We should glory in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, in whom is our salvation, life, and resurrection, through whom we are saved and delivered. So on this day, it, it's a feast day, so the antiphon and all the prayers of the Mass are going to focus on that mystery of the cross. And so all these different texts, that we're, the entrance antiphon and all the texts that we're going to go about, they're prayers, but they're also kind of teaching us. Going through, so through, through Advent and Lent, there may be more penitential. Easter, though, we're going to be more focusing on the resurrection, teaching us about the different saints, the different feasts of the Lord. We're kind of walking through the life of Christ, essentially, through Advent, Christmas, ordinary time, going through all of the miracles, Lent, Easter. We're walking through the life of Christ, and the actual texts of the Mass help us, help us do that, and help us do that all together, by all, we're, a unity of mind and heart on whatever that particular mystery we happen to be celebrating is. Another thing, you know, we, we stand, sit, kneel, all these things. All those have meanings. So when someone important enters the room, customarily, you would stand up, right? So at the beginning, we stand because Christ is present. Christ is present because we're on Calvary. Christ is present in his mystical body. Christ is present in his priest. And all of Christ's presence and the word that's proclaimed, all these ways Christ is present. And every time we stand, when we stand, it reminds us Christ is present here. We're going to stand up and honor that presence. One more little nugget, I guess, is that sometimes you may see the priest with his hands like this. It's not just a, uh, I'm just going to be a pious priest. But this is a, a symbol of military surrender. So in ancient Roman times, you would do this, the, the, the soldiers who were defeated would do this to, as a sign of surrender to, the, to, their mili- to their superiors and to those who had overcome them. And so we do this as a sign of surrender to God. Say, God, you are the Savior, you are the conqueror, I surrender to you, help me to do that. So that's the nugget of the meaning behind this. And so then, the priest goes to the chair, and Mass continues as normal. And if we want to see the rest of it, we'll have to come back next week. (laughs) So does anybody have any questions um, about anything, repetition, clarification, you disagree with what I said, whatever it is? Yes? Yeah, so in the um, so if you, in the missalette, in this missalette, and most missalettes, so this is a little summary of the readings, and that's not part of the Mass itself, that's just to help us, you know, if, if we're coming in, we don't know what the readings are, I want to see what, what's going to happen, to help me enter into it better. Um, if I maybe come in 15 minutes early and read this, that's a, that's a great way to, to help make myself present there. Um, but this isn't part of the Mass itself. 
So if you, if for example, on page, on page three, this, these are all the entrance, the thing before mass that I was talking about was the entrance antiphon. So these are all the entrance antiphons for the Sunday masses at the beginning. For daily mass, they're, they're on each day in the daily mass section, which is in like, you know, the 150s area. But the Sunday mass ones are on the beginning. Um, which would be an, 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 another way, or maybe in addition to the summary of the readings, this is like the snippet of what the Mass is going to be about in like one sentence. It's usually from a psalm, sometimes from the Gospel, and so it, it may help us enter into the Mass a little more deeply. Any other questions? you have a question? It's very obvious that you pay very close attention in your theology class. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Question, not comment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I learned something that I didn't know before. I do this in memory of me. Mm -hmm. And the way you explain that, uh, you know, it adds a great deal. Yeah. In memory of me. Right. There's, there's a deeper layer to things that we may not. Just because that's, that's not the way we use memory. And so knowing what Jesus meant when he said memory kind of opens it opens up a whole new avenue. Any other questions? Yeah? So we could use it at every Mass. Um, realistically, I would, uh, a lot of people would complain because they cough, um, and people with asthma. So that, that, those are those are real practical reasons. Those are real. I don't want to like minim, um, downplay those. Those are real reasons. Um, like at the seminary, every Sunday we use incense. Um, every feast day, every solemnity we use incense. Um, it could be done. It's just the practicalities of the different needs of different people. <laughs> yeah. I'm explaining. This is a real explanation why people people complain that it's causing allergies, makes you cough. Not only that, but some altar servants will burn the altar. Those <laughs> <laughs> kids, you know, you got young ones. You like to play the fire. I have I have been at a mass where we had to stop and put out yeah. the carpet a little bit. <laughs> it's cause for every mass, but uh -huh. you know. But because of, I, I don't do it here because of that particular reason. People complain, they coughing, they have allergies, and then I got kids I'm afraid of. They're going to burn the church. Yeah. <laughs> you had a question back here? So the church says that if, if, so the church, the simple answer is mortal sin. But, um, that's barring if we, we choose it of our own free will. Um, there's lots of instances of people working. Those are real struggles. Sickness, having to take care of people. These are all real things. When, when we say mortal sin, it's like we of our own free will choose to not do this. And there's for no other reason, just that I don't feel like going. But if there, there's, there's real things, like we, we all have responsibilities to families and, and parents and kids and, and jobs. 
We have to provide for all those things. But the, um, Lord, the Lord might ask us to keep holy a Sabbath day, you know. So he asked us very, actually, very asking us very uh, minimum, you know. You know, keep holy Sabbath. That means keep through do, do your week. Keep a day, a time to remember God, to give thanks. Huh? So, you know, it's unfortunate because we're so busy, we come up with some excuses. But as much many masses as church offer, even though we didn't have the vigil, it used to be Sunday mass. Saturday vigil was in place of the Sunday mass, huh? Because of people's business, and the church understands that, you know. And also, Jesus said, you know, uh, uh, even uh, uh, you work on a Sabbath day, you know, it's you, it's certain cases, okay. Say if there's an emergency. There's always emergency, you know, providing and nurturing, taking care of your family is important. But also, faith is important. We can make our priority if we want to, right? If we really want to, we can make any priority, you know? So if we place God before us and, and take time for God first and foremost, you know, everything's going to take its course in its place, you know? And, that's, and we have faith and understand that. Boy, that would be powerful. That would be great in your family. That would be great with your children huh? and the family because once you show that to our families, our children, it makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. It unfolds everything. Yep. Yep. Okay. Any other questions? Thank you very much. Well, let's get great. Ahead. Yeah. All right. If you're if you're if you're the kind of person who doesn't want to ask questions in front of a crowd, I'll be in the back. Come ask me. <laughs> I'm one of those people. show up. You can keep the copies and a pen. Okay. Actually, don't don't keep the pins. I told that's all the pins in the office I could find. If you took the if you borrowed the pins, okay. I got one. Don't keep the pins. I got one. Why don't we uh, before we all leave? Why don't we say a closing prayer and uh and send us out? Uh, let's stand. <laughs> in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for, for the unspeakable gift that you've given us in yourself, in the Mass, and the Holy Eucharist. We ask that you would continue to bless us, continue to keep our minds and hearts open to receiving you more deeply. We ask that you would keep us safe as we go home, give us a restful night so that we may rise refreshed and joyful, ready to witness to you and to be your disciple in the world. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.